0: Daily with Jason Mertidis. And welcome to your Monday, October 26th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. A lot to report on in this episode. The general managers had a GM call with the league Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, uh, Don Fear from the NHLPA on Friday. Uh, Some details emerging from that over two-hour call with the NHL general managers. We'll download you on that in just a minute. Also going to take a deep dive into Patrick Laine. Obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about the goal-scoring winger for the Winnipeg Jets being available. Uh, Also, some reporting that the Flyers are a team that's interested and has inquired about the 22-year-old Patrick Laine. Uh, We'll give you a breakdown of some of the The good parts of his game and maybe the pearls in his game as well as one of those streaky goal scorers first and foremost though the nhl and the pa had a call with the nhl general managers uh, a zoom call that took place on friday and the nhl said in that call it was still too uh, difficult no certainties to give a specific date when the NHL will start their season. The league, although, did reiterate that January 1st remains its target date, but still no guarantees on that. You know, there's a lot of questions that surround this. How many games are they going to play? Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and the league has said they want to play 82 games. Is that feasible? How far into the summer do they want to play again with an Olympics coming and also trying to get the NHL calendar back to normal so maybe you can start the 21-22 season normal in October and with fans provided everything with the the pandemic so no concrete answers on some of these questions just yet the Board of Governors the NBA did inform its Board of Governors that they're targeting an either December 22nd or December 25th start for the NBA season. Um, There shouldn't be any building availability issues if the NBA does start before the NHL. And Gary Bettman, the commissioner, has said, like he did in determining hub cities, they're going to take their time, use the most up-to-date data to make the best decisions that they can possibly make in this very unique circumstance. In a lot of ways, planning this 2021 season is more difficult than planning the return to play. First of all, because you had 24 teams, not 31, in the return to play. And you had the two hub cities in Edmonton and Toronto to work with. This is far different. There's probably not a situation where players are going to go to hub cities. They're not going to do that again. You can't do that for a regular season. We've seen in the NFL, we've also seen in Major League Baseball, that the leagues have been willing to move things around, change game days, and do that those kind of things if the team should have uh, a sort of a, a mini outbreak or something like that, and they can't play on a scheduled day. Uh, I imagine the NHL will do something like that. Uh, they would like to play in front of fans, at least limited fans to start. Uh, we'll see if that's a possibility come January. Uh, all these things, all these questions and big questions are up in the air. The other thing, really kind of a big thing to overcome, is the fact that the US Canadian border is still not open, and if teams cannot go in and out of Canada, and without doing a 14-day quarantine, and that's a non-starter. So we could start the season with an all-Canadian division. Now, just because you start the season with some revamped divisions or conferences or whatever you want to call it, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to finish. You could see schedule changes throughout the season. So perhaps it's the first six weeks where the Canadian teams just play each other, and then you have regional hubs for the American teams. You'd have a, a Northeast quadrant, Uh, a Southeast Quadrant, a West Coast, and maybe Southwest Quadrant. And those teams would even possibly go to those cities for a week and hold a bunch of games in one city for about the first six weeks of the season to get them to a point where they can travel more freely, see if the border opens, and they can kind of make the schedule that way. I have a feeling the schedule is going to be done in pieces. I doubt we'll get the full 82, whether it is 82 games, 60 games, 65 games, 58, whatever it might be. Uh, The NHL has had two 48-game regular seasons, both because of a work stoppage back in 97 and then also, also in 2012. So it's something they can work with. I know they want to play as many games as possible, but they need to play the least amount of games with no fans as possible as well. Now, we should also hear that conversations are ramping up with the new return-to-play committee. The, the NHLPA is putting a group of players together. James Van Riemsdyk was on it for the return-to-play uh, for the playoffs. We'll see if he's a part of the next return-to-play committee. He is also the Flyers' player rep for the, for the uh, union. We'll see if he's a part of this new players' uh, uh, committee that will need to uh, work with the NHL and work with the PA to come up with something that works for all parties in this now new return to play. Also, the conversations will ramp up after that, and I think that we'll start to hear some things about plans and options and all the different variations that could take place here in the next couple of weeks. We're getting into November here at the end of this week, and if they want to return to play January 1st or somewhere near that, basically a two-week training camp, Uh, So you're looking at mid-December for for that to start, if they were to start on January 1st. So we'll see if that does take place. Good chunk of that conversation also was spent on the NHL draft lottery. Of course, the Rangers won the draft lottery this year, and there's a lot of people, uh, general managers in particular, looking to change the format, change the odds of teams' uh, ability to win it when they don't have one of the worst records in the NHL. The Detroit Red Wings ended up drafting fourth this year, and they had, by by far the worst record in the NHL, and they end up drafting fourth. So they're looking for some change there as well. We'll see if that happens. Not really a front-burner issue right now. One of the front-burner issues for Flyers fans is getting that sniper, getting the goal scorer that we all have wanted for so many years. And the name that's out there is a very interesting one, and it's Patrick Line. There's been a lot of conversation about Line. You know, you see on social media, I would trade this, this, and this to get Patrick Line, or... I can't go that far. I can't put Travis Sandheimer. I can't put Phil Myers in a deal for Patrick Line. I can't give up a top four defenseman for a streaky goal-scoring winger, which is what Patrick Linea is. And defensemen, top four defensemen, certainly have more value on an NHL roster than does a winger. So I decided to kind of look at Patrick Linea and do a little bit of deep dive in this season, this past season, and the season prior to look at his last two seasons. Now, in 2019-20... In the entire season, he played 68 games. He had 28 goals and 35 assists for 63 points. But when I talk about a streaky scorer, Patrick Laine is one of those guys, and a lot of pure scorers are like this, where they score goals, and when they score them, they score them in bunches. But then they'll go, because they're streaky, they'll go on droughts. And Patrick Laine, here's a month-by-month breakdown of his 2019-20 season. In the month of October, He played in 12 games. He ended up with 13 points, so more than a point per game. He had three goals in the month and 10 assists. Good start to the season, and it wasn't just about goal scoring. In November, 13 games, he had 12 points. Again, so through the first two months, he's a point-per-game player. Four goals in November, eight assists. December, seven goals and seven assists for 14 points in 13 games, still averaging over a point per game. Uh, In January, 12 games, four goals, three assists, Uh, For 7 points. And then in February, 8 goals and 5 assists. In 14 games for 13 points. In March, just 4 games. 2 goals, 2 assists, 4 points. Again, 68 games on the season. 63 points. But the interesting part is when you look back inside the numbers through his game log. He had 3 goals in his first 5 games of the season. But then he went 10 games without a goal. 4 assists in that 10 games. But a 10-game drought without a goal. Next, he had a 7-game drought in December and had three assists during that seven-game drought. Now, I look back at his 2018 and 19 as well, and he had two five-game droughts, two six-game droughts of no goals, a 15-game drought from January into February, and he had three assists in those 15 games. Then he scored in three straight games and then went on, on 11 games without a goal, and then he scored one goal and went another six games with zero points. So this is the streaky nature that I'm talking about. He had 30 goals, 20 assists, and 50 points the season prior. Uh, you have to be careful what you give up when you're talking about a streaky player. Now, he gets a lot of work done on the power play, no question about it. Had 20 power play goals in his second year in the league. He's a guy that can ha- has a release that's, I think, top two in the NHL. I put him ahead of Stamkos just because Stamkos is so rarely available, uh, dealing with injuries all the time. Also, Patrick Line costs you a lot of money. Uh, right now, he's got the final year of that RFA deal that he signed at $6.75 million, And he's due a new contract. Now, he's still going to be an RFA, but he's going to have to get a raise. When you look at the full equation of acquiring Patrick Line, you're getting a player on an expiring contract, yes, but he's still an RFA. And you're not trading for a player like Patrick Line unless you're planning on extending him. But what does that next number look like? Well, in today's NHL, who knows what it looks like because of the flat cap and everything else. With that being said, does he sign another bridge deal? Is that what he's looking to do? Sign another two-year contract, walking him to free agency? That lessens his value to a team trying to acquire him. If you're going to trade for him and give up significant pieces, you want to be able to sign him to a long-term five- to seven-year extension. But in this economy, again, with the flat cap, how do you do that? It's a player that I understand why a lot of people are interested in. I'm interested as well. I just have to see what the what you'd have to give up to get him. And when I hear names like Travis Sanheim, like Phil Myers, like Travis Konechny thrown out there, I pause. Because, again, this is a streaky player. He was a lot better in the NHL last year in his 200-foot game. So when he wasn't scoring, he wasn't a complete liability in all the other zones. But still, that being said, he's not a great defensive player. He never will be. And that's okay. That's just not who he is. But when you go 10 games without a goal— Or 15 games without a goal, as streaky scorers do, is that end up being more net positive, especially when you consider the cap dollars allocation? Or is it more net negative? And can you give yourself a a new hole defensively to acquire a sniper winger? That's the question. So when they talk about those three players in particular, Phil Myers, Travis Sanheim, and forward Travis Konechny, I cannot package those players into that deal if I'm the Philadelphia Flyers. All right, everybody, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back on Wednesday with another all-brand-new episode. So in the meantime, have a great day. Have a great couple of days, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode of Flyers Daily.